authenticity. That's what we're going to talk about today, my friends. The importance of being able to step into who you really are, to bring the fullness of your imagination, your personality, your creativity, your body, your mind, your temperament into your work. It's all you've got. I mean, what makes you different from everybody else? Why should we be interested in you? What are you contributing to this art form that is different from somebody else? What separates you from the 250 other people we've seen for this part? And when you suppress that, when you keep that hidden, when you keep that in the closet, deny yourself that, it can really sabotage your creative life and your personal life. And so that's why I'm really excited and honored today to bring on one of my former students, Mackenzie Lansing. You probably know her best right now as Brianna Del Rosso, the bully from Mayor of Easttown. She's learned a few things about stepping into her authentic self, and we're going to talk about how that changed her career. So put the phone back in your pocket. Creating Behavior starts now. Hello, daydreamers. Happy Pride. I know we're closing out this month. I hope this past weekend, if you were in New York City, that you felt the love, that you hit the streets. It was an amazing weekend. I'll tell you, it's one of the better weekends to be a New Yorker. And it was the first time, I think, since before the pandemic, where I have really felt the city just hopping. I mean, everybody was out large groups of people celebrating, drinking, just walking arm in arm. It was, it was just, it was full of love. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it only happens primarily one weekend a year, one month a year. And it reminds me of this, (laughs) this Morgan Freeman quote that I read in an interview. He said, I hate the word homophobia. Because I don't think there's anything really that you're scared of. You're just an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good quote. So, that's why, closing out this month, I am really excited to share with you this interview that I had with my former student. This conversation, I should say. With Mackenzie Lansing. Now, Mackenzie, she was at the studio, my God, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. And I remember, certainly, you know, over the course of the first year of training, thinking, wow, what a shy, quiet girl, young woman, who seems really scared of stepping into her full voice. And I remember just trying to give her space to be able to step into her fullness, so to speak. And, yeah, I mean, if you ask me, describe Mackenzie Lansing, just based off my experience of her in the classroom. Shy, quiet, unassuming. That's it. 
Now what's crazy is that couldn't be any more further from the truth. She had started to carve out some small parts here and there, some guest spots, some day players. And then I remember seeing her on The Deuce, I believe season three, she had a nice recurring part, and I thought to myself, my goodness, where'd that come from? Just confident, solid, really emotional scene with Maggie Gyllenhaal, which we're going to talk about. And then I'm watching Mary of Easttown, and my jaw drops. I I couldn't believe it. I was like, who the fuck is this woman? Certainly, that's that's not the young woman that was in my classroom. That is an actor that needs to be dealt with. That's an actress that is formidable, that can hold her own on a major HBO series. Who can hang opposite an A-lister kidding me? You're putting a scene opposite Kate Winslet? And you go toe-to-toe with her? And I was shocked. Really, truly shocked. And so today we're going to find out where all that came from. It's, it was always there. She was suppressing herself. She was closeted. She was trying to fit this Barbie doll persona that her representation wanted her to fit and it was wrecking her work it was really it was keeping her from from doing the kind of work that she knows she's capable of because she's not those things she is a tough minded gritty she's a brawler you know she'll go toe to toe with you and now this is how she works changed the entire course of her career and at the top of the conversation we just started talking about Mary of Easttown you know what it was like when you read the script did you know that you had something really special here and we're going to talk about the audition we're going to talk about experience of being on set and the the importance of stepping into the fullness of who she is Here's my former student, Mackenzie Lansing. I think I knew the show was going to do okay because the writing was so good. And I knew there were a lot of stars attached to it. But you never know with these things, right? Like it could crash and burn, but the reception was pretty impressive. Yeah, I, it's my first time ever like getting like recognized on the street and stuff like that. That's been a bit weird. I, that had never happened to me before. Um, Oh, you fucking bitch. You bitch. Oh, for real. Like some girl in a bar, uh, I was like on an outdoor patio and she was really drunk and she's like, oh my God, are you, wait, are you Brianna from Mayor of Easttown? And then she was like, take a picture with me. And then she wanted me like to pretend to punch her. But yeah, people are really nice for the most part, except on the internet because some people don't understand what television is. It's fine. I mean, at least it's getting reactions. I think that's, uh, that's what you want, right? I saw you on the Deuce. You did a couple episodes there, and and then I, I'm watching you in this in Mayor of Easttown, and I'm just like, this is not the shy, quiet young woman that I remember being in class. <laughs> this, you are a formidable actor, and you have a a presence and intensity that people have to deal with when you are on screen with them. 
where did this come from? Like, I'm sure that, that this is this is you. It's always been accessible in you. I just remember you being very quiet and very reserved and very shy in the work. And, and all of a sudden, here's this just hurricane of behavior. <laughs> I think um, that's like who I really am. I think I'm a pretty intense person. And I think that, you know, I think that's part of the reason I liked training with you so much because you're a very intense person. For me, I think that especially when you're, you know, a woman in this industry, that's, you're told that that's wrong, right? That that tenacity, anger, testosterone, ambition sometimes, whatever it is, like that grit is like not okay or doesn't have a place or it's read differently, right? And so I was with a manager. I think, yeah, why was that? Uh, why was that Maggie Flanagan studio? I was already, I was with a manager who was pretty terrible, who had me change my entire appearance when I signed with her, lose like, you know, 50 pounds and stay in the closet. So are you fucking yeah, kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what you were seeing as I was being really unauthentic. She even had me go see a voice coach to like heighten my voice a little bit. So I talked more like this. So I was acting all the time. Well, that must have been very unsettling and upsetting. You you have somebody that wants to represent you and saying, "Oh, listen, I'm I'll I'll fight for you. I'll stand up for you, but I don't want you to be yourself. Yeah, I don't no, want you to be authentic." Right. What was what was that yeah. experience like for you? I mean, I think that she's not a bad person. I think she had a misunderstanding of who I was, and I was already misrepresenting myself because I had gone to previous training before Maggie where it was this machine of turning everybody into like five different types like either you're the ingenue or you're the quirky best friend like just like there wasn't any stretch for for anything and so I just felt like who I was wasn't okay and so my acting suffered because I wasn't like you can't create any kind of behavior or character if you don't know who you are you know because then you're not working from a place of truth and so yeah once I left her and came out of the closet officially and basically had to start my career over because you know casting directors knew me as like basically a barbie doll and uh, i was going out for roles that were that i didn't even want but i was like oh i need to make it i need to prove something to my family so like the names of roles i was going out it was like girl in bikini number three or something you know that's crazy because what you what you put out and what you're getting work in is like this blue collar hard scrabble fucking tough street smart gritty like there's no barbie doll at all no well once i did that i started booking it was like i already had the tools i already had the ambition i just didn't have any authenticity so once i like did that and i took a huge risk i had to you know i had to start completely from scratch in terms of quote unquote branding because uh, well, the industry you, had you left your manager you dropped your manager yes i did was and i started scary? working with agents it was super scary because i was suddenly i had been with representation ever since i left school i wasn't booking but at least i was like one of those actors that was repped and then i met my agents at clear talent group who i'm still with and they my agent just like sat me down and he was like you know i'm gonna be honest with you he's like whatever he's like i kind of didn't take this meeting seriously because yeah, I've seen this before. But then he's like, but then you walked in the door. He's like, don't take this the wrong way. But he's like, you have grit and gravitas. You kind of walk like a dude. Like, you are intense. And I don't know what it is that you're doing right now. But like, this is not it. And he's like, if you're willing to be, to let us like help you be you, if you're willing to like let go of all this shit and be more authentic. I like cried in his office. And it was, it was really weird. But we were very uh, immediately like, you know, meant to work together kind of thing. Because well, he saw what, me. 
what brought you to life in the office? What was it that you heard that made you emotional? I think he just said something as simple as like, he's like, is this, is this you? Like, is this actually you? I don't think he even knew what he was saying when he said that. I don't think he knew that he was talking to someone who was closeted, who had been lying for 10 years in the industry. But that was who he was, who he was talking to. So I, I just kind of like lost it for a second. This, this person wants me to be me. And no one had told me that was an option, I guess. You stayed in the closet for 10 years. Do, were, you, were you worried about family response or you were you trying to figure out this like am i gay not gay i would assume you know i mean like you know you're gay right? no and not always like i didn't i knew and i didn't know i think it's like what a lot of people feel like all the evidence is there you're just like not you're not ready to put the pieces together you just know something's off like you don't fit in you're always faking everything because you know obviously like being gay is being gay but then you know, in order to fit in, there's so many other parts about yourself that you end up changing as well. Cause you're already not being honest about this one thing. So it can kind of be like a domino effect, I think. So it is all connected. Like it can seem separate. You're like, well, who you love is different from the rest of the parts of yourself. But it's like, yes and no. It becomes really easy to lie if you're already doing it so much to yourself. So yeah, I kind of didn't know. I kind of knew and I didn't know. I knew something was off. So how do you understand the meaning of authenticity now as an artist, as a human being. How do I understand the meaning of authenticity? Yeah, because I, think- I mean, I feel like it, that was part of your journey early on was like mm-hmm. finding the authenticity of who you are as a, as a person, as an actor, mm-hmm. an artist. That was a journey, it seems like. Yeah. I don't know. Like after I started being truthful about that one thing, it was a domino effect and everything started to follow. And I'd been told, because, you know, I was like this, like, you know, gritty heavy energy, intense, like for most of my teen years, like that's who my parents knew me as. And I moved to New York and I just changed myself for the industry. So it was a getting back to process. But I had been told that that was wrong, that that was too much, that I was too intense, too loud, too ambitious for a girl, too gritty. I think at a certain point realizing like, some people are gonna have a problem with this, but I don't. This is my favorite part about myself. It's what makes me harder working than a lot of other people is this part of myself. So getting back to that and just being like, I don't really care what anyone else thinks of this and accepting that I would rather fail being who I am than be successful being a lie. Cause I think I wanted to be successful so bad that I didn't care anymore who that person was. Well, how did it change your work? How did it change how you auditioned and what did you notice about? Your I started bringing myself to it. Comfortable being ugly, you know, like mm-hmm. just didn't working for myself, like auditioning because I liked auditioning again, because I liked the person who was on the other side. She wasn't as, you know, girly or polished, but I liked her better. I was like, that's someone I want to hang out with. That changed for me. It made me love acting again because I lost that. Well, what did Meisner's technique do for you? What did that year did it do anything for you that still resonates or that you still rely on? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think first of all, I connected to you a lot as a teacher because I felt like you were so intense and so um, like like you treated it the way French. So I come, I'm from France, and like French teachers treat acting the way they do dancing or anything else. There's a, it's an art form and it takes work, and there's like this idea of like showing up for it just like you would anything else, which I really respond well to. Is like you know that that kind of attitude but in in Meisner itself I think 
because I still use the work. I mix it with other things, obviously, like I think a lot of people do. But I think what I learned the most from Meisner technique was how to be present. Yeah, that, that's it, really. How to listen. Yeah. How to put your attention on the other person. Yeah, and how, like, how being present makes you more authentic, but not because you're like pushing, like, this is who I am, just because it's just happening. And that that's also like a moving target, if that makes sense. I think you have an interesting story about the deuce. And I try to tell my students that you just never know what they want and what can come out of an audition. And you might be auditioning for a small part, a day player, maybe, you know, maybe a, yeah. a, one or two scenes. And it's, no way is the part envisioned to be something more than just maybe a one-off. And just talk about how that small audition for a little part grew into a recurring role and the experience of showing up on set having never met Maggie Gyllenhaal in a very emotional scene, like, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. And opening your hearts to each other. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah uh, it was this, It was supposed to be, I think, like the character was supposed to have, I think it was just an under five or something, under five lines. Right. The character was written sort of maybe like a little bit nicer than I am. I'm not sure. She, You know, she's no Brianna, but she's... I definitely decided that like Maggie was like going after me in the scene and I was like, no, I'm going to like hit it back a little bit. So I made some choices involving like being frustrated with the director. And I think I ad-libbed a little bit, which you can get away with if you're good at it. Don't always do that, but it's something you can get away with if you're good at it. Like a couple of words or something. And James Franco was directing and he was like, I liked that. Like that was good. He went and conferred with the writers and they gave me a few more lines. And he was like, okay, we're going to build off of what you like you kind of like giving her some lip, do you know what I mean? To give the scene more of this. Cause to me, that's what it needed. It needed a conflict so that then it was stronger, hopefully when she opened up because she's not just doing it because she's suddenly remembering. She's doing it originally because she's trying to tell this young actor that they need to use their own experience and be present and she's frustrated with this actor but in order for her to be frustrated with me i needed to be you know kind of a shit so yeah, a, little difficult. <laughs> a little difficult to work with you know a little mm -hmm. bit like god damn it you know so that turned into a few more lines and they liked my work they added a few more and then you know i think like a week later or something we got a call that they had written me into the next couple of episodes so like and that was that that's incredible yeah you just never know what can happen if you show up and do good work. Now, I'm interested, because uh, you're a writer, mm -hmm. you wear two hats, right? You, you are, um, you're a storyteller. You understand writing, and, and you've written a number of plays. Does that play into, like, when you show up on a set and you go, no, this is, something needs to shift here, because this, this is not, doesn't click for me as a writer. You know, that's interesting. I don't know. I think that maybe uh, it came, like, I think that my, writing comes from being an actor first where I like look at a scene and I, I think about how it needs to do this. Like I'm always like putting myself in all the characters point of views and making sure that everybody's having an arc. But yeah, maybe as a writer where I, I guess like, yeah, there is the writer part of me that like, if I see that it needs something I'll, I'll ad lib and I usually get away with it because it's, it still fits the tone of the, I'm not like, and I'm not putting so much in that I'm, you know, being disrespectful to the person who wrote it. 
but yeah, I do that a lot in auditions and even the, I think in Maravie's town, a few of my ad libs made it in because why not? They work. They work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so what was it like, you know, working with Maggie the first time and, and it was an intense experience in terms of the acting that was required. Right. And you hadn't met before you were shooting. No. And she was already in it. Like she was already prepared and like emotionally centered and ready to work. Well, she knew this scene. They they did an article about that specific scene in Rolling Stone, I think, because that scene is the first time that you hear about Candy's backstory. So she's been through three seasons, an hour an episode of us following this character, and we still have no idea how she got into sex work or anything like that. It's this big mystery around the character. So they were like, okay, end of the show. We're going to reveal it. She knew that that scene was pivotal for her and she takes her job very seriously. So she was already in it. So there were no highs, how are yous. It was, you stand there, talk to James Franco, get your blocking, and then boom. And all the next thing I know, she's like barreling towards me and like gripping my shoulders and crying, looking straight at me, which was crazy. It's intense. She's everything. I think she just like, she has a whole, the how alive she was, was, uh, like a masterclass in acting. It definitely took me from like feeling here to be like, oh, okay, like I still have so much to learn because this person is like, there's not a part of her that is not in this in this moment. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think every time you get a chance to be on a set, you if you're an observant actor that cares about craft, you're gonna learn something. What did you take away from the deuce and working with someone of her caliber and her talent? This sounds a bit strange, but eye contact, she's really big on like locking eyes with you while she's playing and staring into the depths of your soul. But I realized that I, you know, I play a lot of scrappy characters, which means that I can kind of get away with doing a little bit of like looking around and things like that. But that I think sometimes I maybe fall into the trap of avoiding eye contact because of how intense it is, but you can get stuff out of that, you know? It was so simple, but it was just, her locking eyes with me was her getting everything she needed in the scene from me. And that felt like a very big responsibility that there was no, like her, her homework was out the window. Like it didn't matter anymore. She did the homework, but it wasn't there. What was happening was everything happening in my face. And it was, she was working off of you and working 100%. off of what you were giving her. I mean, that's like a drug when you get moments like that as an actor, like you'll never forget scenes like that. No, I will never forget the way she looked at me and the way her nails felt digging into my shoulder as she gripped me while she cried. That will be with me for the rest of my life. You know. How many how many takes did you do? For my over the shoulder, we probably did like four. And for hers, they did five or six, but they didn't even need them. She just wanted more. She was because you know, she's producer, so she was like, I want to do another one. I can do better. And so they gave her a few more which is usually what happens, you know, you get less takes if you're, if you're a smaller role and you just, you have to deliver in less time, which is valid, you know, <laughs> you're a guest on the set. But yeah, she, and she did something completely different every time. Coming from the same place, but remember one time she did that portion where she's opening up about her backstory and she was like cry laughing and had me laughing too, even though I'd already heard the lines like 15 times, but this time they were funny. What a great experience. It was trippy. I've been lucky enough that I have worked with two to three of my favorite actors of all time at this point. Listen, when you get an opportunity in your early career to work across an A-lister, 
that's a pretty big deal. And we'll talk about Maryview's Town. I mean, it's uh, it's a huge success, and rightly so. I mean, I think it's the best work Kate Winslet's ever done. I think she'd and, probably uh, agree with you. Unbelievable. A, a complicated, deeply nuanced, rich character that to navigate the grief, and the loneliness, the pain with doing her job and it was phenomenal. And I, I thought the entire cast was, was stellar. Yeah. So what I liked about what you did, and I mean, really I a lot of appreciation for it is you, you didn't allow Brianna to be a two dimensional, just asshole bully. I think that at Maggie Flanagan, I remember very clearly you talking about playing a villain and how, we were doing, um, you know, somebody brought in their activity or something. And I think you had them have like a really problematic point of view. And this person was like, I can't do it. You, you got angry, rightly so, <laughs> where you were like, if you are ever in a show and you don't authentically integrate, like really embrace this as a real person and get behind what they think, you are doing a disservice to a positive narrative. So, you know, like if it's a it's a show about like, let's say, Second World War and you're playing a Nazi, if you play a caricature, you are not supporting the positive narrative because you are you are being harmful to the memory of how real and scary those people actually were. Like, that's what's frightening about a villain is they're real people who think that they're doing the right thing. Nobody not walks around they're... saying, you know, I know that Brianna does not walk around going, I'm an asshole and I'm a bully. No. No one, no one exactly. thinks of themselves that way. No. And that to me was actually when I went, those are the kind of characters I want to play. And I play a lot of bad guys. Absolutely. That, and, and you found her humanity and you had a lot of nice scenes that allowed that to happen. That scene on the porch, we see you get scared and mm -hmm. vulnerable mm -hmm. and unsure about what your boyfriend is hiding. Like it's written all over your face. The subtext was so clear. And all of a sudden, here's this scared, fragile girl who's grappling with self-esteem and her own insecurities. And her, uh, it was it was just a nicely nuanced character. It's really, really well done. Thank you. Yeah, I think for me, it was finding like what would motivate her. And I came up with a couple of things. Um, but one of them was Dylan. She's in love with him. He did probably does not feel the same way. And she, for some reason in her teenage brain, thinks that he's going to be her ticket out of this town. And Aaron's a threat to that. And it's that fucking simple. She needs to get out. She's stuck. He's the ticket out. And this bitch is in the way. Like, that's like all, all it took, really. The word simple is key, right? You have to you have to work in a simple way. It, yes. If you start getting complicated with shit, like it's just gonna bog you down. And that's easily something that you can wrap your mind around. She's a threat. She is gonna keep me from getting out of this fucking depressing, stifling Pennsylvania town. Charlie, when I was working on this character and I was doing my homework, I had your voice in my head when I was like coming up with like reasons why, where it's like, can you say it in one sentence? Is it gritty enough? Do you believe it? Like in my brain, I was like, no, I don't. 
Like it needs to be even fucking simpler. Do you know what I mean? Cause you can go like, oh, well her dad's a bully. And like, also oh, she, like, sure you can build that backstory. But like in terms of like the why, no, it needs to be like this big. It needs to be so short and so simple that I can say it in my head and immediately be like, you know, that's what it is. I spend all the first year trying to get my, you know, as you know, trying to get students to mm-hmm. be able to state things in a very simple way, easily stated, easily actable so that you know exactly what you need to do. And where you feel it here when you say it. Absolutely. Like, that's I remember cool. you saying that. I literally touch my chest when I'm like writing this stuff and I'm like, do I feel it? Because if I don't feel it, then it's not worded right or it's not the thing. Was the audition a self-tape? No, it was uh, in person. And I think there were three to four rounds of audition. And they started with the, uh, you know, the forest scene where I beat her up, which was really interesting because when you do a scene like that in an audition, you know, you have to be really good with your camera work, knowing where the people are, what you're seeing, because you're creating like there, you know, you have one reader who's reading for 15 characters, basically. Right. I mean, the whole, scene that, that scene is everyone's around you. You've got your crew. Yeah. You've got, your, you've got everybody. It's, yeah. There's a lot. of. So how did you how did you prepare for it? I got I practiced my eyelines over and over again. I visualize. I know some people are like stay in the audition room. And I do believe that, like, obviously, you should take in what's happening in the actual room. But if you're doing something, especially a scene where you can't simplify it, part of the scene is the chaos. You don't want to make it too complicated for yourself, but you want to give yourself three people to look at. And one point that's the main person that you want someone from, and that person is going to be right behind the camera. And then the two others that you're working off are here, here, or like, you know, at your angles or whatever. And then you want to literally create it in your mind, because especially a scene like that, like, you know, whether other people know that they're doing it or not, she's being peer pressured. Her friends are there. That's why she keeps hitting her because yeah, she's got to impress people. Big time. Yeah. Now, did you use the reader specifically for one of the people that in the scene or were yeah. you just, she just, you were just listening to her words and, and had spots to look? I can't remember what I did. I think I had to, I think I had to use the voice because the reader was seated on a chair over on the far left. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to look there. You're going to lose my eyes. So I looked, the casting director was standing behind the camera, but not reading the lines, which made it a little more complicated. So I put the person I'm talking to right behind her. So I was still looking towards camera, but not straight in camera and also not dead into her eyes because she's not reading. So that would be weird. And so I had to, as soon as I got in the, mo- the room, like reassess and be like, okay, where do I put my, and I think that's really important when people are auditioning, like you're allowed to take a beat. This is the space you're expected to do that. Also, you probably should because they just had lunch or coffee or had another auditioner come in who did something weird that they just got done talking about, like whatever it is, you want to claim your space. And if that's even just like readjusting the chair an inch, even if it's already where you want it, I always move the chair. I'm here now. Let's focus up because people need that. They need a beat to readjust to you. You have to take control of your audition. Yeah. Take control of the room, you know? How do you deal with the physical, when you have physical shit you have to do? I mean, you're punching or you're getting shot or you're shooting somebody, you know, like how do you deal with the physicality of a scene like that in an audition? I practice with the camera flipped so I can do action, but I can make sure I'm never dipping out of frame and that it doesn't look like it's too much. So I try, I don't practice the acting because I don't want to see myself act. That's dangerous, right? But I practice the moves so that it's so choreographed and intuitive that I'm not doing it and then suddenly like completely dipping out of frame or something. So many times an actor auditions for something, you read something, you're like, ah, all right. I mean, I got an audition that's good. 
it's not really doesn't sit on me well, but you know, you got to go do it because it's the audition. And then you get, yeah. you get auditions. You're like, Oh, this is fucking mine. I can, I can, this is me. I can nail this. And yes. If they, if they don't book me, there's something wrong. And my, that's sense what is, I thought. My sense is with this particular part, you thought this is my role. I did. I figured I've been in a lot of fights <laughs> when I was growing up as a teenager, I was a rough teen. I was like, nobody else is going to know. There's going to be so many girls auditioning for this who are going to be actually 18, who ju- don't know what it's like to be a teenager because they just got done being a teenager five minutes ago, who don't really know what it's like to be in that kind of situation. I was like, I, I don't think that you have to have the experience. Obviously, it's something you can craft, but it definitely gave me more confidence. And also, like, it doesn't matter about the fighting. Like, I just have more grit than anybody. Like, if you give me a role that's like, that's someone who's that aggressive, like, I will know how to do it better than than most people. It's just a fact. Uh, so when I got it, I definitely felt, I felt like this is mine, but it made me want to work harder because I was like, if I don't live up to this right now, there's something wrong. And if I don't book this, there's something wrong with them. Cause I know I delivered. So you come in for the first time, you do your first audition. And how long did you have to wait for a callback? A little bit actually. Cause they got behind on stuff. And I was like, all right, they're a mistake. And so I, this is what um, most actors do. You figure, oh fuck, they hated me. I, it's been it's been two weeks. I haven't heard anything. Fuck, God, what did I do wrong? No. What the fuck? You can't think like that. That is so unhealthy. That's right. Yeah, no, people. Well, how, well, how do you intervene people. with that? Because I, that's a very human thing. How do you intervene yeah, with is. those kind of damaging thoughts? You train your brain. People think they can choose to like go get a cup of coffee, but you can't choose your thoughts. You can choose your thoughts. It's what we do in acting. If you can choose your thoughts in a scene, you can choose them in life. So you can, when you're having a negative thought and you keep having it, it's a habit, right? That thought has become a habit. That's why it's happening impulsively. But what you have to do that's kind of, you know, exhausting and it's a lifelong work is when you catch yourself thinking something like that, you have to stop yourself, look at it and be like, is this serving me? And if it's not, you should change it. And it's really hard, but it, I've, I've trained my brain literally over years. I used to be the kind of person who after an audition, I would obsess over it. I would feel bad. And it's, I actually think that the debrief that you do in your brain is almost more important than the work, not more important than the work, but more important than the, it's more important than the auditions. You know what I mean? Because if you don't know how to sustain yourself, if you don't know how to have good mental health around this stuff, how to pick yourself back up and stand up for yourself in your own mind. Like there's no way you're going to do it in a scene or an audition. And you'll be doing something else in five years because you just won't be able to take it. Oh yeah, that happens all the time. Your brain is gonna get exhausted. Like people think that it's just one audition and they felt a little bad and they're okay. No, that's gonna grate on you. If you let your thoughts run wild, it's gonna catch up with you on some, at some point and you're gonna move home. Yeah, that's right. So you get the second callback. Did they give you notes? Did they give you adjustments? Or did you just get the callback and went in and did the same thing? I think they gave me an adjustment in the room, which I always really like better because then you don't have time to overthink it. And you know, they're interested if they start giving you notes because like, okay, let's see if you can take this and... Oh yeah, I love a good curveball. But for me, when I go to a callback, if I know that there's not a lot of people at the callback, I don't do the same thing again because what they do sometimes is they rewatch your tape beforehand. And then if you come in and you do the exact same thing, well, one, you're not in the moment because you're just trying to recreate an audition that already passed. And two, they've already seen it. It doesn't need to be like a different motivation, but you just, you need to give it something different, I think. Also just keep it interesting for yourself. Like auditioning should be fun. If you're bored, they're bored. So I always try to like throw something a little different, even if they don't give me an adjustment, because why not? 
So the third and fourth callback, I would assume there's more people in the room. There's other more people. network. And it was Kate in there because yeah. she was. No, no, she wasn't. No, there was one person from network. I think uh, Bradley Inglesby, the writer who I love. He's such a cool dude. He's great. And then it was a different director at the time. The director got replaced. So different director, a couple casting people. And I think that what they did is they kept releasing. So they did the fight scene first. Then for the second audition, I think it was like the fight scene and the arrest scene. And then third audition, curveball scene with Dylan. Can you do, can she also, can you make this a real person? And I knew when we got that, that I had it because I was like, even people who might have been able to match me on anger and grit, some of the, those people don't understand wounded. You know, that's like a too far down. Mm-hmm. Like, well, some some actors just don't have the vulnerability. Yeah, you know, and I think that's another thing that Meisner really does here—not just uh, grounding you in the present moment, but it sensitizes your instrument. It really does allow your vulnerability, your humanity, your, your empathy to operate in your acting. Yeah. I remember you had a class once where we talked about how to live with like an open instrument, but then still like be able to pick yourself back up. Do you know what I mean? Like that work of like opening yourself up in a scene, but also knowing how to to self-soothe so that you're not like walking around raw all the time. You do have to find ways of keeping yourself healthy and safe. You can't walk around open and available in life. Get chewed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So let's talk about working with Kate Winslet. I mean, that's uh, pretty special. That's yeah, that's just special. What can you say? What did you learn from watching her, not just function as an actor, but I mean, she's producing, she's talking about top of the food chain, my goodness. She's super kind. She's super interested in people. She wants to know about everybody. She asks questions. She listens to the answers. Like she's very present in life. And we hung out like off set. We talked, had conversations. She told me about her life, which is a huge like vote of trust. You know. Personal stuff. That's, you know, yeah, I told her about the breakup. Information. Yeah, exactly. I told her about a breakup I was going through. She compared it to something else in her life. So we had a lot of those conversations, but she's so generous with her time and energy because I really loved how sort of like she knows that she's in charge, that she is not just responsible as an actor, but responsible as a as a producer and as number one on team. Number one sets the tone, always. Yeah, and she knew that. She's someone who has really worked very hard to be good at every part of her job in this industry, and that includes the way she is offset, the way she talks to people, knowing everything about the camera and the lighting and all that stuff so that she can you know, talk with crew. She's fantastic. And when we had that scene in the police station where I thought she was actually gonna kill me. It was amazing to have her like stare me down like that and to feel myself not back down. I was like, I don't care who you are. Like, I'm not gonna. You, you went toe to toe with her. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she appreciated it. So it was, I think she, she could tell like, she was like, oh, you're not, you're not intimidated. Like what, maybe in life, but not once for the cameras rolling, you know? Yeah, it was definitely like a masterclass in acting. She's so simple. Yes. Simple and vivid as hell. It was really interesting because I was in some of those scenes with her and I, she understands the camera so well because there were things that she was doing that I didn't see also because I was in my own world that I didn't notice her doing that then when I watched it later, I was like, oh my God, that was 
even smart, that choice was even smarter than I realized it was or more meticulous than I realized in that moment what she was doing. You know, when she comes in to arrest me, she first comes in and like my mom stops her and is like table for two or whatever. And like, I, I wasn't, you know, they cut before that. So I'm not like waiting. I'm just like hanging out. I'm like watching it. And I was like, oh, that's, uh, that, that is what it is. And then I watched it, you know, obviously when we were closer up when it actually aired and I saw her do this little thing where she goes table for two and she kind of like looks back at like him in shock. Like this guy, like, no, ew. Like this like very small thing that she did, like that was hilarious, but I didn't see it at the time because it's so small. Yeah, see, that is that's wonderful to you know as as a just a viewer, we we appreciate how good she is, but we don't really understand the the artistry, the craft that you get to see when you're on a set like that and go, oh my god, that was so subtle, get so clear. And for anybody that is like not about the homework, Kate Winslet does the homework. She has a binder this this big, like I, we. On my first day for rehearsals, I was a little embarrassed because I showed up and everybody's like hands in pockets and I like pull out this massive binder. I'm like, oh crap, this is kind of embarrassing. And she has the exact same one with like tabs sticking out of it and post-it notes everywhere. And I was like, oh, this makes me feel good. But like my idol is doing the same shit. What went into saying, okay, first rehearsal, this is what I have to show up with. I just, I didn't know what they would ask. So I had everything. I had backstory, I had, beats cut out i had an arc for each scene and how that played into a bigger arc i had thoughts on her past on how she related to every character in the town and obviously none of this is work that you necessarily like actively uses action when you're in a scene but it is work that feeds you and gives you everything i had worked on every single scene individually and looked at all of them together and I'd come up with a whole world. I knew her favorite color. I had a playlist of her favorite songs. How does that kind of preparation and attention to detail help you in the moment, in the, in the living out of something? It's probably unconscious. It's unconscious. And some of it, to be totally honest with you, is anxiety soothing. It just, it makes me, and it's more fun that way. I think the homework is fun. And I think, you know, whether it shows up on the day or not, even if I decide it actually isn't relevant, it's fun to do, it's interesting to do. And, you know, even just something as stupid as, you know, we sat in that rehearsal and like, I sounded like an intelligent human being, not because I'm brilliant, but because I did the work. So I had knew the answers to every question. And I, I don't think now you would know, but you probably would have at the time. I have anxiety disorder. Mm. And I don't think on set anyone could, could, could catch it now. That's because that's part of the reason I do so much work from the beginning, because I don't want to be caught out in a moment where I don't like know what to say. Anxiety you know disorder I mean? is absolutely real. My wife, Trish, who has been on this show, we did a show on anxiety last season. She's got generalized anxiety disorder, panic <laughs> attacks, and has had her whole yeah. life. And it's um, it's a struggle. As a non-anxious person, I it's hard to relate sometimes. And so I understand the, the struggle, the pain of, of grappling with anxiety. It's, it's no joke. No, but that's why like, you know, mental illness is a thing, but you have to come up with your own coping mechanisms, your own things, and they can be different for each person. Some acting teacher had taught me, I don't actually use this for acting work, but you know, like object where you put an object in your pocket and like, I don't use that as work. But one thing it did do for me is help with anxiety because I take something from home that means something to me and I carry it with me on set. 
to remind myself that I deserve to be there. So I don't let my demons, you know, get in my head about being unworthy and why they probably just cast me because the other person bailed or like whatever it is that my brain's going to say on the day. I have something in my pocket. It's actually, a, I have it over there. It's a bracelet that my friend made for me. He died when he was, my best friend died when he was 27 in a car accident or he was 23. Yeah, he was 23, not 27. I carry around this bracelet that he made of me. I, I'm from a rough blue collar town and my best friend made me a bracelet out of these bottle caps and I carry it with me on set because it makes me stand up for myself because he would want me to be here and I deserve to be here and I've worked hard to be here and all those things like live inside me so I don't get intimidated and let my anxiety get the best of me. Do you have to struggle with kind of that imposter syndrome? Like, God, I'm a fraud. They're going to, I'm going to be exposed as somebody who doesn't belong here. Do you have to like actively intervene with those kind of thoughts? Not as much as I used to, because I've trained my brain to no longer think that way. I can catch those thoughts before they start to happen. But when I first started, yeah. And when I first started, I used to just let my thoughts run wild. I didn't uh, realize how much, so much of being an actor is not just like that audition. It's, it's what you do around it. It's it's your life. It's how you make sure that you are still enjoying this. And part of that is is grappling with your thoughts and making sure that you're always on your own team. Can you tell when you're working with an actor that has no training? I think that there is like 1% of actors that can get away with not doing work and not doing training. And God bless them. That's amazing. How did that happen? But also I think they're missing out because I think that the work is what makes this so interesting, you know? Yeah. If you, if you don't, if you don't love, if you don't love that, if you don't love breaking down a script, if you don't love the, the craft of, of the art form you're trying to pursue, like what the fuck are you doing? You're not well, serious. It's also just not art then, right? Cause art is supposed to come from pain, toil. It doesn't have to be like, you know, the, the, image of the tortured artist drinking himself to death like it shouldn't be that but it's it's going to be a little uncomfortable it should be anything that's worth doing is uncomfortable i talk a lot with one of my friends Jax, who's a professional dancer we have a lot of the same habits and i'm not a dancer i nobody's gonna check that i'm not stretching in the morning but i get up and i do the same thing every morning i have habits i if i don't get an audition i do an audition on my own every wednesday so I'm going to do it whether someone's there to check that I did it or not. This is what I try to instill in every person that comes to the studio. You know, there's nobody, and you understand this now because you're a professional actor, no one's standing over your shoulder saying, listen, you're, you're phoning this in. This is your second best. You're being lazy. If you don't have a solid work ethic, if you don't have a standard for yourself, no one's going to give it to you. No. And so many people in this industry don't have that work ethic. You know, some people make it a little bit along the way because they know somebody, they have rich parents, it happens. But most people, people like me who had to struggle for a really long time to break through, but eventually did, those people have the craziest, best work ethics you have ever seen. And they all do. We all have it in common. Because that, that's what separates the successful from the unsuccessful is how hard you work. 100%. Yeah. You know, there's there's privilege and there's complicated things like that. But at the end of the day, that's what's going to move you forward or not, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes, like, people get really caught up in, like, I think, you know, we, you know, you did an episode on this, but, like, excuses. Like, they, they, they come up, well, I'm just not. And they think that they're being rational, but what they're doing is, like, oh, I'm not thin enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, 
I'm not this enough and that's why I'm not booking. Maybe, but those are outside of your control. The only thing you can control is your work ethic, how hard you work. So just do that more. And if that is what people are thinking, like you can't control that. So fuck them and keep working and eventually someone's gonna take notice. So I'm curious, you know, you, you had that period of life of being a student and training and you get into the world. I'm curious what you now understand about what it means to be a professional. You know, just like in life, like you have to live up to your own standards. You get to set, you get to set the rules. You get to decide what that looks like. Um, but kind of like what we were talking about in work, you have to decide what kind of person, what kind of professional you want to be. And it should always be a little bit, little bit higher than where you are now so that you're working towards something. You should always be striving to reach that standard that you have for yourself, not, not something that's put on by anybody else, not a teacher, not a friend, not a parent, not society, whatever it is that like that looks like for you, like that's what you should work towards. I, I tell students, you know, you never want to be the problem on set. And I guess, uh, are there any things that you would like to share um, like things that you should never do. Like, please don't ever do this on a set. Uh, okay. Well, there's a lot happening on set and it isn't about you. I think as actors, like we don't know enough about as much as we should, you know, about how everything else works. Be respectful, be nice to everyone. Do not get insecure. Like if a director doesn't talk to you, it's not because you did a terrible job. He'll let you know. But getting insecure and asking people what they thought and turning to the grip guy and asking him what he thought of your performance is kind of stupid because nobody's looking at you except for the director. Everybody is so nervous about getting this shit done and doing it right. They are looking at the lighting. They are looking at your hair. They are looking at the framing. They are not actually watching your acting. The only There's like three people on set watching your acting. They're not looking at it at all. So if that can make you feel safe and create a bubble for yourself, do it. But don't go around like fishing for compliments, you know, be secure that you did the work and show up and do it. And if nobody thanks you for it, like that's the name of the game. What do you love about acting? I think I love that it's always a version of myself that I'm, you know, exploring, right? Just different circumstances, different why, different backstory or whatever. But I do feel like I get to live, live out several lives in one life. Like I get to be in circumstances and situations and feel things that I might never get to experience if I wasn't an actor. And I think that that makes all the work worth it because when you come out the other end, you kind of, there's something very like meta about it where I feel like my brain has stretched a little bit every time where I get something I didn't get before. The whole reason we have society is because we're emotional beings. Like that's how we connect. So you only connect to ideas through emotion. So for me, if I emotionally connect to somebody else's circumstances, I leave that role and I understand life a little bit better. I have more compassion. I have more love for the world because I got to see it from a slightly different angle. But some advice, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this that, you know, they're, they're out of school or maybe they've just, they've been at it for a couple of years. You know, what's, some advice you'd want to give given, you know, what you've experienced and what has been happening to you over the last decade that might help somebody that wants to live a creative life. If you're meant to do this, you will do this. You'll figure out a way. Sometimes you won't know until you know, but that if you believe that that's you, you need to 
create a life and a work ethic that is, I wouldn't say you shouldn't be sacrificing your life at the altar of your craft, because then you will do what I did and you'll lose track of who you are. And then it's like, why are you doing it anyway if you're not doing it for yourself? But I think know yourself so well that you can create a work ethic, a habit, a way of being that everything is feeding into your craft. Set your own standards. Think if everybody did the work of figuring out how to look at every single aspect of their life and be truthful, you know, about where they're where they're slagging off, where they're not pulling their weight, where they're not being honest with themselves. If that's something you keep doing, like it'll show up in your work. Well, my fellow daydreamers, thank you for sticking around and keeping that phone in your pocket. Please subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a few seconds and you can leave a killer review on iTunes, I would love it. You can go to my website, greedybehaviorpodcast.com, for the links and content to every episode. You can book me for private coaching, read my blogs, sign up for the newsletter. You can leave me a message on SpeakPipe. Just press that red button, ask me a question, leave me a comment. If you're interested in training yourself as a professional actor, please go to MaggieFlanaganStudio.com and get in my classroom. Follow me on Instagram, at CreatingBehavior, at Studio. Lawrence Trailer, thank you for the music, my man. Mackenzie had it right, you guys. Be honest with yourself, develop work ethic, habits, and a high standard. Oh, and don't ever settle for your second best. My name is Charlie Sandlin. Peace. It's not